views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today or Cubist, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. The TBI Center of Excellence, or TBI-COE, produces this program. I'm your host today, Don Marion. Today I'll be speaking with Amanda Ganot. Ms. Ganot is a physician assistant and TBI subject matter expert at TBI-COE. Amanda and I will discuss a study entitled The Persistence of Blast Versus Impact-Induced Concussion Symptomatology Following Deployment, an article written by Jennifer Belding and colleagues and published in the Journal of Head Trauma Rehabilitation in December of 2021. Hi, Amanda, and thanks for bringing this article to our attention today. Can you tell us a little bit about the study? Hi, Don. Sure. So the primary objective of this study was to examine whether there is a difference in the persistence of symptoms in patients who experienced mild TBI when looking at the mechanism of injury. So this study was done in United States Marines who had sustained a concussion with either high or low level blast exposures versus those who experienced impact induced mild TBI. There have been some other studies that have linked concussion symptoms with blast exposures. In particular, there are a lot of questions about the impact of low-level blast exposures. So I think that this is a really interesting research question and a very interesting study to cover. So in order to conduct this study, the investigators did a retrospective cohort study of Marines that were deployed between 2008 and 2012. They obtained information from both the post-deployment health assessment and the post-deployment health reassessment, which are known as the PDHA and the PDHRA. So ultimately, the investigators found that there may, in fact, be a relationship between high-level blast exposure, mild TBI, and persistent neurological symptoms when compared to impact mild TBI. I have a question, Amanda. You you talked about low-level blast and then high-level blast. Could you explain what you mean by the two? Yeah. So high-level blast could just be referred to as just a blast, really. So this could be something like an improvised explosive device or an IED or another large explosion. On the other hand, low-level blast exposure occurs when service members have been exposed to multiple smaller blasts or overpressures. So those are things like from artillery, mortars, shoulder-fired rockets, or things like breaching charges. And there have been some associations with concussion-like symptoms like headaches or dizziness following low-level blast exposure. And there are some questions about whether repeated low-level blast exposure might increase the susceptibility of concussion. Very interesting. Um, So also you mentioned something about PDHA and PDHRA. And what exactly is that and why did they decide to use that? So the PDHA and the PDHRA are mandatory self-report questionnaires. And so each service member reports potentially mild TBI-inducing exposures. If they answer yes, they'll complete a mild TBI screening. And they can report symptoms for which they sought care for during deployment. Um, So the PDHA must be completed within 30 days of return from deployment, and then the PDHRA is completed approximately six months later. 
Both of these forms are reviewed by a medical provider before being added to the service member's official medical records. So in this study, the research team reviewed the PDHA and PDHRA forms from the same deployment for each Marine within the study time period. And um, just to be clear, so I, I guess it's question nine on the PDHA and PDHRA forms that ask specifically about the type of uh, mechanism of TBI and symptoms and so forth, correct? Correct. So this questionnaire asks questions about things other than mild TBI as well, but there is a specific mild TBI question. Right. Okay. So uh, how was the study done exactly? So on these PDHA and PDHRA forms, uh, participants listed their military occupational specialty or their MOS during their deployment. And these were coded into occupational groups. So things like infantry or food service. And based on that, the investigators then coded the MOSs into categories of service members who are at relatively high risk versus relatively low risk of low-level blast exposure. So those reflect the relative frequency in which certain occupations would fire weapon systems known to create overpressure. And then additionally, on the PDHA, participants reported whether they experienced each of the following potentially mild TBI-inducing exposures during deployment. So these were blast or explosion, motor vehicle crash, bullet or fragment wound above the shoulders, fall, or another category for other. Marines were then classified into two groups, so those with high-level blast exposure, which could have also included those who had impact exposure, and then those who had an impact exposure only, so a non-blast. Marines that indicated at least one exposure were screened for probable mild TBI, and these were participants who reported loss of consciousness, feeling dazed, not remembering the event, or having a concussion. And those were categorized as having a probable mild TBI. So it's important to note here that this was just a self-report screening. This was not a medical diagnosis of concussion or mild TBI. So in addition to the injury event history, the PDHA also assesses a variety of self-report symptoms. So for each symptom, by answering yes or no, Marines were asked whether they sought care from a healthcare provider during the deployment, whether they were placed on quarters or given light or limited duty during deployment, and whether they were still bothered by the symptom at return from deployment. Marines that endorsed any of those options were coded as experiencing that symptom during deployment. So the symptoms on the PDHA were categorized into three groups, which included neurological, musculoskeletal, and immunological. So again, this isn't just a mild TBI screening. It looks at other conditions as well. But the neurological symptoms included were uh, headaches, dim vision, dizziness, fatigue, memory problems, ringing in the ears, trouble hearing, uh, numbness, trouble concentrating, indecision, and irritability, all of which could be associated with concussion. The PDHRA assesses whether the service member had a health concern that they feel is related to their deployment six months later. So for this, the Marines answered yes or no for each symptom listed. And in this study, a yes response was interpreted as indicating a continued presence of that symptom. It sounds like they were very thorough. So what did they find? So there were over 102,000 active duty enlisted Marines that completed both the PDHA and the PDHRA. Of those, around 8,000 of those service members were exposed to a potentially mild TBI-inducing event. The sample was predominantly young male service members concentrated in the pay grades of Lance Corporal and Corporal. 
And examination dates of completion indicated that the median number of days between the PDHA and the PDHRA was about five months. Marines whose PDHA and PDHRA records could be matched were identified as working in occupations with relatively high risk for low-level blast and relatively low risk for low-level blast. So the investigators concluded first that mild blast TBIs were associated with significantly more neurological symptoms than were mild impact TBIs at both time points. Second, the reports of all symptoms decreased over time with decreases in self-reported neurological symptoms occurring at statistically equivalent rates for those who had mild blast TBI and with those with mild impact TBI. Third, although these decreases were statistically significant, those Marines with high-level blast exposure were more likely to have persistent neurological symptoms than those with impact exposure. And lastly, they concluded that concussed Marines working in occupations at relatively high risk for repeated low-level blast were more likely to suffer persistent neurological symptoms after return from deployment than those with low-risk MOSs. Uh, that's a, a lot of information. So if I could yes. just summarize it a little bit. In other words, Amanda, Marines who were injured from an IED blast or whose job involved frequent exposures to low-level blast were more likely to have persistent symptoms for five months or more than were Marines who were injured from a fall. Is that correct? Is that summarizing it correctly? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So what were the limitations of the study, Amanda? So there were a few. As with a lot of the military studies we cover, this was a predominantly young male service member population. So the results aren't really generalizable to civilian populations or to women. The study also used self-reports, which could be subject to recall bias to assess high-level blast and impact exposures, probable mild TBI, and symptoms. Additionally, I think the biggest limitation is that because the present study used archive survey data, it wasn't really possible to collect additional data on other relevant variables like other medical conditions, so things like mental health disorders or chronic pain, which could have influenced their symptom reporting. Furthermore, it was not possible to collect additional details on high-level blast exposure or determine whether those with high-level blast exposure also had simultaneous impact exposure. And then lastly, as I mentioned earlier, although the investigators referred to Marines that screened positive for mild TBI as concussed Marines, um, these screeners are only those Marines with probable concussion. So they were not clinically diagnosed with a concussion by a medical provider. So I think there are some assumptions made here. So yeah, just to clarify that last point. So in other words, normally um, you wouldn't diagnose a concussion based solely on the Marines' uh, responses to the PDHA or PDHRA, but rather the concussion would be diagnosed after a provider did an examination of that Marine based on his responses, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so finally, Amanda, what were the key takeaways? So, I mean, we've reviewed some other articles about the impact of blast exposures on our service members in the past, and um, most of them have found that there are some differences in the way that service members recover from blast exposures. So I think what's really important for providers is um, making sure that they get that history and specifically asking their patients about blast exposures, and that includes low-level blast exposures, particularly after deployment. And this is very important in helping service members manage their expectations for recovery 
and providers should note that sometimes, but not always, it might take longer for service members with BLAST-related TBI to recover. Uh, Great advice, Uh, and thank you, Amanda. Uh, That's all we have time for today. You can stay up to date on future episodes uh, by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discuss and other relevant resources. Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White and was hosted today by me, Don Marion. It is a product of the Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, a branch of the Research and Engineering Directorate of the Defense Health Agency, led by Branch Chief Captain Scott Cota, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode.